Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be listening. This might be a surprise to everybody, but welcome to the 6am Run podcast. I guess special host today, Ari Fleeman. Hey, everybody out there. Hopefully you're all having a great day. Hopefully, you know, this is being recorded on a Friday. Hope you're listening to it on a Friday and getting ready for that weekend. I know for me, that means a long run. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, even though the temperature has dropped. I'm a cold weather runner, which, you know, we'll see how our guest likes that. Today, we've got a great guest. Really excited. I'm sure you've seen him. If you're on Instagram, if you're on any of the social medias, you've probably seen him dancing across your screen and going on through some of the cool moves. But uh, today, we've got Jeffrey Binney on our uh, podcast today. Jeff, how are you? Oh, I'm just dandy. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I, I saw a little bit of a shrug, maybe a, a grunt when I said cold weather. So not not too not too big of a fan, right? Not a fan. <laughs> well, you're over you're in Utah, right? Yeah, I'm in Salt Lake City. I mean, in my defense, it's I think it's for good reason. I hesitate to even talk about this because every time I say, oh, I hate running in the cold, everyone says, oh, well, you need to try leggings or you should try gloves or like they start telling me all these obvious things <laughs> and I appreciate it. They're, they're trying to be very helpful. But, you know, the problem for me is short runs are fine, but long runs in the cold, especially here in the mountains where I want to be running, I'm a really big dude. And even when it's cold, I sweat so much. And I mean, it's terrifying, but also really dangerous <laughs> for me to be like deep, deep in the mountains sure. wet in 25 degree weather. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I guess to your point, I, so I live in Ohio, so we, okay. we don't have mountains. We have, if we're lucky, we have snow hills is basically the, our, our top elevation. So yeah, for me, it's pretty easy because I can run seven miles and, and still see my house. So. I'm, I'm free. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I mean, that's why I have a complicated relationship with winter running. I love it. It's here. It's beautiful. And it's so quiet. Like, at least in the mountains, it's so weird how the mountains are just silent in the winter. Mm -hmm. I guess it's because the birds are not chirping and breeding and doing whatever they're doing, but it's <laughs> just so serene and like chill. So I love the idea of running in winter and I love running like a handful of miles, but long runs are just really complicated for me in the winter. I just totally understand. Like, yeah, it's like hamster wheel of like not being able to slow down or walk because then I start to get super cold. So I just like, yeah. I have to be running enough to like keep my temperature up. Or Anyway, you ask a simple question. I don't love winter running. <laughs> well, make sure we just need to get you some cool leggings. That's the thing. Like I, I was the same way. I'm on a mission because I feel like guys' clothing for workouts is very drab. It's yeah. you know, your blacks, your grays, your blues. And I want color. I want, I'm obnoxious. I'm an extrovert. I want to show off. I want to say, hey, look at me. So I want bright orange, you know, leggings. And I've got Star Wars leggings. Yeah, I've got all the crazy stuff. So I think maybe that's what we just need to get you. Yeah, I'm of the same school of thought. If nobody noticed me, why did I leave the house, right? Exactly. Attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, again, I, I'm super excited for you to be on the podcast. Already having a great time with you. For those that are unfortunate to not know you yet, why don't you give just a quick rundown of who you are, what you've been doing over a while, and kind of from there. Yeah, I grew up in Missouri on a pig farm, like bona fide indoor kid, super into theater, a little musician as a kid. And that's that's what I always did. I moved to New York and I was working as an actor in theater and then that kind of transitioned into stand-up. And very happily, uh, pleasantly plump, my mom used to call it, you know, overweight, unhealthy, inactive, but 
just quite frankly, really didn't care. It just didn't immediately affect my life until my mom, who had been diagnosed with heart failure when I was a little kid, kind of started to decline pretty quickly. And I was nearing 30 years old and she ended up passing away of obesity caused heart disease. There really was no question about what caused it. And I realized that I was headed down the same path. I was right on the tracks, just, you know, 30 years behind her. And she was 58 when she passed away. And so in a kind of desperate attempt to not end up the same way, said that I wanted to run a 100 mile ultra marathon. That's kind of the short version. It was a slightly, slightly slower progression to a hundred miles, but I I dove in a little too fast. (laughs) I also had moved to Los Angeles and was wanting to do more stand-up, and I wanted to write my first hour of material on one topic. So I had this idea. I was like, what if I decided to run a 100 mile ultra marathon? We filmed all of that and documented that whole process. And then I wrote an hour of stand-up storytelling-esque material. We filmed that. And then we just slammed those two things together in a little juxtaposition of an indie film. Could that be interesting? And so we did it. We made it. Didn't go as easy as I'm making it sound, but I ran a 100-mile ultramarathon. And uh, we got lucky for it to get distributed by Amazon. So it's available on Amazon Prime. It's called Once is Enough. And that gave me a little of attention, which we've already established. We both love. And uh, so I just kept like playing around on social media and, and trying to, to find something was silly and simple, but conveyed what I think like the core of spending time outdoors and running is all about, which is having fun. I see so many people forget to have fun out there. So get wrapped up in your times or your distance or your injuries. And forget that you're healthy, you're in the mountains, you're running. So I, I one day was, was running across this bridge in near Salt Lake on one of my favorite trails. And it reminded me of the bridge from Dirty Dancing in that scene where she's trying to learn that choreography and she's dancing on that bridge. I was like, you know what? I've got to bring my film equipment up here and I need to recreate that. I'll just like stay in my running gear and I'm just going to recreate the scene. (laughs) And I did posted it. And clearly people needed to see Husky Ginger's dancing in the woods more than I realized because (laughs) it exploded. I've never had something go viral like that. And so since then, I've just been making more and more videos of me humiliating myself dancing in nature and... (laughs) That seems to be taking. Was that before kind of the whole Reels thing? Or or is that like right around when Reels kind of started to go big? It was in the fall. It was just when like Reels were starting to happen. I had a YouTube channel years ago, but YouTube is a lot of work. It's a lot of work and years and years of investment before it starts to be worth it, at least financially. Sure. And so I had never really put much effort into it. But Instagram has started really focusing on reels. And I thought, yeah. you know what? I can throw together some 15, 30 second videos. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's what I've that's what I've been up to. Awesome. No, and you're totally right. I mean, it, it's so funny that you hit on that about the, you know, just have fun. So I kind of in the same boat as you. I mean, if you want to say completely opposite ends. I, I was was, is, am a very skinny person. I'm, I'm lucky, you know, to have a, a very fast metabolism, but I was very inactive growing up. Yeah, I played the usual stuff, but college, high school, never did anything. And it was, I was, yeah, 30, probably my 30s when I started to run, thanks to my, my wife. 
and I had fun the first few runs. And then to your point, I started to get more into time and it was, okay, you know, what can I beat? What's my speed? I was gunning for that two hour or sub two hour half marathon. And that was my plan for one. I, I, I'm still on that plan. I'm hopefully to getting it this year. But I had a half last year that I, I was planning to run. I was planning to do the sub two. I was planning to train really hard. And then my wife had her two kids. And you know, if anyone has kids, that just completely changes everything, including a training schedule. So I just decided, you know, hey, I paid for this. I'm just going to go out and, and run the race. Don't care what I do. Just I'm, I'm going to go out and do it. And, and it's my favorite race I've done, you know? probably my worst time, but it was the best race I had. And it was because, yeah, you just sat there and you just kind of enjoyed it and you got to run it and, and really enjoy the course. So it's, it's a perfect kind of, you know, how we need to almost reset ourselves. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I certainly would never say that those things aren't important. You want to keep growing as a runner and you want to keep challenging yourself as a runner. But if you're not having at least a moderate amount of fun while you're doing it, what's the point, you know? Yeah. And it's work. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard. You know, especially like trail running and ultra running, like it gets hard. There are some dark, dark times on the trail. I mean, <laughs> for every silly video of me, you know, dancing in the woods, I've spent an equal or greater amount of time like sitting on a log crying on this <laughs> trail. So, you know, you really need to remember to bring the joy or it's, uh, yeah, what's the point in my opinion? Right. No, I love it. And yeah, I mean, you know, we'll obviously plug this in our posts of the pod of the podcast, but you know, guys definitely check out even just your website. I haven't had a chance to check out the video yet. It's on my Amazon to-do list. Like I said, if, if I can steal the remote and, and the cocoa melon away from my kids, Good luck. Uh, it's the first thing I'll be watching, but even like the few clips I've seen on your website are great, you know, and, and just so funny, but I got to ask, I mean, so you, you reached for the stars, you hit that a hundred mile marathon what's next? You know, what's, what's that next goal after that? I don't know. I had a combination of like burnout slash goal fatigue after, and <laughs> I've never stopped running, but I had a, you know, my, the hundred miler was almost five years ago. And I had a good two or three years where I was running consistently, but I just really had a hard time getting excited to work towards a, a huge stretch goal like that again. And it wasn't until like the last year or two that I really kind of got my wind back. You know, I really beat myself up for that too. I'm taking a slight detour here, but you know, I really was was beating myself up when I wasn't in the mood to, to run a hundred miles. Like, well, that's what everyone knows me for. But I slowly just like accepted it. And, you know, I, there were times when I wasn't in the mood to run at all. And I'd be like, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm a runner. That's apparently who I am. That's my identity now. Like, what's <laughs> going on? And I slowly accepted that, you know, there are rises and falls in motivation. And Absolutely. I finally accepted that. I'm currently very fortunate to be in a, a major motivation up. But it's hard when you don't have a big stretch goal. I think it's so important. It's every time somebody asks me my advice on, you know, oh, I want to run my first ultra. What's your advice? And my advice is to make it a big deal, make it a race that is a challenge. That's, you know, maybe it's someplace you really want to go, like whatever you can do to make it really exciting for you. It's one of many things you can do to help keep yourself motivated. So yeah. I'm doing the Trans Rockies run this summer and it's a stage race. It's 120 miles over six days wow. and you, you run and then you stop and you sleep and then you run the next day and you stop and you sleep. Each day is anywhere from like 15 to 25 miles oh and the, the race, they move all of your stuff. So whenever you get done running, 
all of your bags and everything are there. Your tent is set up for you. There's like food, there's like live music. And it's like, it's basically a big party every night. Um, Yeah. I'm super excited. I've never done anything like that. And so, you know, that's a good example of like, that's something that has managed to get me really excited because I've never done a stage race like that. And I love the idea, not that hundred milers and 50 milers and other ultras aren't fun in their own right. But I think this is uh, like half social, half running, and I've never done anything like that. So pretty stoked. That's awesome. I, I, I never heard of a race having like a, your own Sherpa to, you know, drag yourself behind you and everything. That, that's know, awesome. Right? Yeah. And, cool. And so to, to kind of go back onto the ultra you did, so you, you not only picked a ultra, you picked, if I'm correct, like one of the hardest ones, correct? Yeah. Um, so you just, again, just shooting for the, you're just no low levels for you. Yeah. We obviously, when we were picking the race, well, I, I brought Ian Sharman on to train me, which if anyone doesn't know who he is, I think it's been beaten now, but he held the, the record for the fastest 100 mile time in the U.S. for quite a while. He is a superstar in the, in the ultra running world. He's won Leadville, I don't know, like literally nine times, I think. <laughs> if he shows up, nobody else tries, it seems. <laughs> anyway, you know, Leadville is one of the, the oldest, biggest hundred milers in the country. It's gorgeous. It's in Colorado, in the Rocky Mountains. And we were looking for a race that was a challenge that was beautiful for the film. But I was also going from essentially couch to 100 miler in like two (laughs) years. So we also needed a race that didn't have a qualifier. And that was really really the deciding factor. They're one of the few big 100 milers that don't require a qualifying race. There's still a lottery, so it's still really difficult to get into, but we managed. I don't want, I I would also ruin it for you. I don't want to ruin the film, but there's so much more to say. So I'm going to ruin it for you. For the audience, if you haven't seen the film, pause this podcast (laughs) because I'm about to like seriously spoil the film. Oh, no. (laughs) Leadville didn't go as planned. I missed the cutoff at the mile 46 aid station by a handful of minutes and got pulled. And it was pretty brutal. (laughs) I can't even imagine. It was all the external things. It was, you know, I didn't quit and I could have and would have loved to have kept going. And that absolutely blew my mind. I couldn't believe that after 46 miles, I was still able and willing (laughs) So I personally wasn't as like crushed as I would have expected personally by the failure, but it was all the other stuff. Like my friends and family had literally traveled across the continent to come to Colorado, to be there for it, to help me. They had taken off work, so many sacrifices in money and time. And we were filming for the film. We had spent so much money to get a small film crew to Colorado for a week to be filming. and. And it just was so hard to think that it was all in vain. (laughs) And then social media. We were trying to promote the film. So I had made such a big freaking to-do about the fact that I was running this race. I had like live trackers set up that people were following my GPS location throughout the race to see how it was going. I had like someone who was there solely devoted to like seeing me at the aid stations and taking video and posting in real time on my social media accounts. 
And that was what was really hard, was having to tell my friends and family that it didn't happen, having the, the crew stand there filming me, seeing it not happen, who at that point were super invested and crying behind the cameras along oh. with me. And then having to tell everybody online, like, hey, it didn't... It wasn't awesome. I was crushed. I was like, I was over it for at least a good like three weeks. I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like the film's not going to happen. A hundred milers isn't for me. Like whatever, no big deal. I tried to be super casual about it, but I had <laughs> the biggest of attitude. I was done. <laughs> oh, I bet. I was going to ask. So, so, so when you started saying that, I was like, oh, I wonder if you had to kind of keep it a secret to not spoil the movie. And I was going to say like, what would be worse would be kind of to tell people up front while it's happening and have to like kind of live with it and move on? Or do you hide that and still have to be your sunny self for the remainder until the film is actually posted? Well, Ian finally talked me into wanting to attempt another 100 miler. And so we set our sights on the Rocky Raccoon 100 miler in Texas, which was about seven months later. And so we, we went to the Rocky Raccoon. I didn't tell anybody except for my sister and one friend who was crewing for me. Didn't announce it on social media. I didn't tell any other of my friends. There were people who I consider my best friends who I didn't tell them I was going to do it. Wow. <laughs> you just disappeared um, people. We paired the film crew down to one person. He, poor guy, did like the job of 16 people. <laughs> like I was excited and motivated, but I just had an overly practical view of like, we don't know how this is going to go. It's probably not going to go well. I'm probably not going to finish. So let's just keep this as low key as possible so that it's as unembarrassing <laughs> when I don't succeed. Looking back, it probably wasn't the most healthy approach. Right. It was pretty satisfying the day after successfully finishing the, the Rocky Raccoon 100 to get online and be able to say, oh, hey, everybody, you'll surprise. <laughs> yeah and people it had been such a long journey that people were so invested and so it was just so fun to share that that's fantastic when you're doing this like and you've got this crew i mean are they going so you know obviously 100 miles it's a lot of road to to stretch was there certain spots they had set up did they get to like see the course beforehand how i guess how does it work to document and run a movie around a race yeah, it's really complicated. I mean, you know, the first thing to mention is that, you know, the advancements in film, I mean, just the just what I'm holding in my hand right now with my phone and my iPhone has a camera that 25 years ago would have cost $10,000 and would have required six people to operate it. So the advancements in technology have made this kind of thing possible. Even just little gimbals, which are those little like stabilizers for cameras. You see those little like weird arms that people are yeah. holding. Before those existed, the option was to like literally lay down tracks on the ground, like little train tracks, right. and, and put your camera on a cart on that track and move it. It just the, the bottom line is the film just wouldn't have happened if technology didn't exist. But then, yeah, there's aid stations all throughout the race. It depends, like typically anywhere from like maybe every seven to 15 miles, there's an aid station. And they would just run from aid station or not run. They would drive from aid station to aid station. If anyone listening isn't familiar with ultra running or trail running, even the aid stations 
it's kind of like a like a NASCAR pit crew. That's how I explain it to people. <laughs> Quick. So there was lots of downtime. I mean, the film crew and my running crew would would be at an aid station waiting for me. And I would roll in and it would be the most frantic six minutes of chaos trying to get me fed and tape whatever needed to be taped and refill my water and all these different things, change out my battery packs. And then they would have like four hours to wait and they'd just go to the next stage station and chill until I got there again. And then it would be another six minutes of panic. And that's kind of the process. And it's brutal for them. They kept getting so annoyed because I, every time we'd stop in the aid station, I'd be like, are you guys doing okay? Like, does anyone need to nap? Like, if we don't need that camera angle, if you need to sleep, like, and they were like, we're fine. But I think it's easy to underestimate how hard it is for the crew as well. Because I mean, it took me 30, almost 30 hours to run the Rocky Raccoon 100 miler. And the crew got some catnaps in there, but like they're really not sleeping either. So if anybody asks you to crew for them, make sure you know what you're in for. (laughs) I'll just just take my phone and like run behind them or something. (laughs) Well, you are going to sacrifice some sleep. That's for sure. That's fine. So awesome. No, that's great. And it's so have you been strictly doing like trail running and the ultra marathons? Have you come down to, normal people's races and and done, you know, some, some halves or anything. Yeah. I mean, I did a few 50 Ks last spring, but that was the last time I did anything over like probably 15 miles. I'm usually doing under 10 mile runs. I'm gearing up for some ultras this summer. So that's going to have to change (laughs) soon. It should have changed a few weeks ago. (laughs) I guess it's going to change soon ish, but yeah, I, it's, it's also interesting how quickly you lose it. When I was a little kid, I was a pretty decent pianist. And like, it's a really similar example. Like now I can still totally play the piano, but not like I could when I was four. And I feel like it's the same with running. You know, it's really easy to, after Rocky Raccoon, I was really burnt out and I was running, but I wasn't doing any long distances. And I remember it was like four or five months after that. And I tried to go do a, a 20 mile run. And it felt like I had never run a day in my life. It <laughs> felt so hard. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just ran 100 miles. Really? How, how, is, how hard is 20? But it's gone. <laughs> you know, it's gone. I don't know. I think it's also, I'm just super slow. So I think people also have a misconception of what ultra running is. It, it, going both directions. I think a lot of people think, when I say that I ran a hundred miler, they think that I was like sprinting like a gazelle, like like the people they see f- like win marathons. I think they imagine that that's what I looked like and how I was running for the full hundred miles. On the other end of the spectrum, there's always those jerks who are like, "Oh, isn't ultra running like it's basically like fast hiking, right?" <laughs> like they're not totally wrong, but no ultra runner <laughs> wants to hear that. <laughs> I mean, I, more power to you. I, I I'm stuck. <laughs> Back in the half marathon, I would love to. My goal next year is to actually just get out to a trail and do some trail running just because I've mostly yeah. done the streets. But yeah, I don't think I could go through 50, 100 miles. Like that's just it's a big mountain to climb. I'm mostly on the trails. I think having like not grown up as not only not a runner, but not an athlete. I mean, to me as a little kid, running was, you know, once a year my PE coach (laughs) grumpy on the side of the track with a stopwatch because it was the day that we all had to run the mile for the presidential physical fitness award. And I would have to gauge how much trouble I was going to get in if I walk. 
or could I fake being sick? Like, how could I get out? How could I avoid this trauma this year? <laughs> and not to use the T word lightly, but I mean, you know, in some ways it was like, you know, oh, for it was sure. Really, it was really unenjoyable. <laughs> Everything that had to do with running or sports was pretty unenjoyable for a fat kid to be frank. Oh, hey, for skinny and athletic, it was un- it was unenjoyable too. Don't don't worry, you weren't alone. Okay, <laughs> okay, good, good. good it's good. funny you say that too, because I think I, I don't know when it was, but I remember seeing posts on it somewhere on social media to that same extent of like we used to hate running as kids in PE, and now like we can't wait to sign up, and we're paying hundreds of dollars to do the same stupid things. Like what what happened to us? Yeah. Well, for me, it was the very first time I went for a run. My mom was in the hospital. It was her final few months. She spent them in the ICU of the hospital. And I was living in New York at the time, but I came back to Missouri to be with her and my family. And I was basically living in an ICU waiting room. And they had all of these obscure, what I thought were obscure magazine subscriptions in the waiting room. And one of them was Trailrunner magazine. And I just kept picking. I had kind of started to get into cycling in New York and I thought backpacking kind of sounded interesting. So I just kept picking up this Trail Runner magazine and, and reading more and more and getting more and more intrigued. And then we had a particularly bad hospital day, just some just really not good news. And kind of in a irrational fit. I just left the hospital. I got in my car, I left the hospital. I went and bought a pair of running shoes and I went out to a trail in a state park and I just started running and running and running. I was think I was running on adrenaline, but immediately I noticed that nobody was timing me. Nobody was, nobody cared how far I went because nobody even knew I was here. Nobody was watching my fat jiggle. (laughs) And I felt almost like a little kid, like jumping over logs. And I was muddy and dirty. And it felt so playful. And I was just hooked instantly. I was like, oh, this is running? Like, I didn't know this could be running. Like, this is, I mean, I'm I'm for this. (laughs) What I'm not for was the misconception that 10-year-old Jeffrey had about running. (laughs) And that's when I got hooked. And I think I love the sense... I think the reason I'm more drawn to trail running than road running is just the sense of adventure. I love fast packing. That's what I really love. I love to throw a backpack on my back with the bare minimum, like something to sleep under in case it rains, something slightly softish to sleep on. Enough to keep me warm and a meal, but I love like going for a long run, sleeping on a rock in the mountains, waking up and running back home. Like that's what I love. I love that like sense of adventure and feeling like I'm seeing something new, feeling like I'm going somewhere. The treadmill, oh, everyone has a relationship with the treadmill, but no one more than me because there's no sense of that. Like there's no sense of accomplishing anything other than the little digital counter in front of you telling you that you theoretically ran this distance. <laughs> We've got quite a few people and I'll throw her name out, Sonia, who's one of our, you know, first customers, longest customers, amazing woman. She's done, you know, a bunch of halves and everything. And but she does a ton of miles on the treadmill, like 10 miles every day. There's others I know. And I apologize, guys, if I'm not mentioning you by name, I'll make it up to you, I promise. But there's people out there, right? And it's like 10 miles. 20 miles, you know, all these like three hours on the treadmill. And I'm like, man, I barely made it through three miles before I like, I jumped off of the treadmill. I was like, I'm out of here. 
But I, I agree with you on the trail. I mean, that's what excites me about getting it is, you know, right, you threw out, hey, you get to jump in the mud piles, you're jumping over logs. Some friends of mine did like a, I think it was called the Viking Dash. And it's like a whole thing of like, you dress up like a Viking and the metal's a hammer or an axe and it's just running downhill in the mud. Yeah, it's like, okay, that sounds fun. I could, I could get into that. <laughs> it's the exact same for me. That's what that's what gets me excited is I also like the responsible calculated risk of going into the mountains too. Like I mostly know what I'm doing, but you also never know what's going to happen. You never know what the weather's going to do. And there is that like sense of like, oh, this is a little risky. It's not. I'm fine. Like I've got my GPS. I have like everything, but it feels a little naughtier and riskier than it is. So two completely random, not random questions, but kind of off the wall questions. So do you remember the first pair of shoes you bought? Like that shoes you bought, do you remember what brand it was? <laughs> yes. I will go ahead and ask your other question. That's yeah, really well, good start, I have a follow-up to it. Story. Yeah. I'll follow, I have a follow-up to it. So I want to hear what the first brand was. Okay. So that first run I went on, it should be noted. I was in Missouri in very muddy, rainy conditions. And I went to the running store and the first pair of shoes that I bought were those Vibram, Vibram, Five Finger, like neoprene toe shoes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I love them. They are so comfortable. I love them. I absolutely adore them. They are not appropriate for running in mud in Missouri (laughs) on the trail. I was a mess. A dude literally like heckled me on the trail. He was nice about it, but he was like, "Mm, how are those five fingers working out for you today? (laughs) And I was like, so offended. I was like, what a jerk. But now looking back, he was was kind of right. Yeah. So my father was going to be, are you still wearing those types of shoes on the trails? No, no, I'm not. I love those shoes. Weirdly. Okay. This is not medical advice. I'm nowhere near a podiatrist. (laughs) But there, I have super, super flat feet. And I actually really like those like hyper minimal shoes because they cause me to lift up my arches myself. Oh, um, okay. that makes sense. Just be, I think just because I can feel my feet can feel the ground more. And yeah. so it like, it feels like kind of strengthen those arch muscles because it makes me conscious of like pulling what them you're doing. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like them, but no, I will, will not be wearing them probably <laughs> again soon. Good, good choice. And then, so you know, you're going out for a, you know, let's just say a, a good, decent run, 15, 20 miles. What's that look like to you? Like, are you packing? You've got your watch, you've got your phone. Are you listening to music? You've got a vest on? Like, what's kind of your your go-to running gear? If I'm staying out for the night, I have an ultra, uh, ultimate direction pack that I really like. Running vests are really difficult for big people. A lot of the, the ultra running vests don't expand. vest. <laughs> <laughs> Not sponsored by either, but I'll call out both Nathan and Ultimate Direction. Those are two of the only companies I've found who make hydration vests that will accommodate barrel chest like mine. But so I've usually got my like 40 liter Ultimate Direction pack and they're great because it's like a really great hybrid between a backpacking backpack and a running vest. So it's kind of like a backpacking backpack, but the vest in the front is thicker, more sturdy with like tons of pockets. It's like, it's, it's just a hybrid between the two. And then I've got a little like tarp, uh, like a tarp tent from not from tarp tent. That's a company that makes tarp tents. Um, (laughs) It's a Z-pack, but it's just a, it's a DCF like hyper. My whole tent setup is I think 10 and a half ounces. Maybe I have a sleeping pad, but I usually don't take it. I've got a sleeping bag 
a lot of times I just take, I have a DCF. A DCF stands for, if you're not aware, it stands for yeah. Dyneema Cuban Fiber. And it's a like ridiculously strong, sturdy fabric. It's used for like sailboat sales. Apparently by weight, it's stronger than steel. And it's really, really expensive. I will miss the kidney that I had to sell <laughs> for all of this DCF equipment. But it really is like mind-blowingly light. So I also have a little like bivy sack. So sometimes if it's not going to rain, I'll just like curl up in my sleeping bag inside that. It's got a little mesh thing over the face. So you feel like you're at least somewhat protected. I cold soak my food. So I don't take a stove or anything. I just, I, a lot of people don't realize this. And is it the most delicious always? No. But almost everything that you would eat backpacking by boiling some water and putting said boiling water into the food and letting it sit for a little while, almost all of that food can also be quote unquote cooked <laughs> by just letting it sit in water for a few hours. So I have just a little like old peanut jar that I'll throw it in and in a couple hours it's ready to eat. Uh, lots of things like your additives for water. I sweat so much. So I have to make sure that I'm not only drinking enough water, but that I'm also getting like all my electrolytes with that because I cramp so bad. I don't even know if there's any scientific evidence that that's what causes cramps, but that's what I decided causes cramps. So I'm like super diligent about keeping electrolytes in my water. Such as 6 a.m. finish line, plug here. Plug, plug, plug. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Plug, plug, while you're running. Are you, are you a music guy? Are you a... Not a music guy. guy. No, and I think uh, a lot of people would be shocked to hear that since my whole vibe on social media is, is dancing while running. But I don't listen to a lot of music while I'm on the trail. I, I think one of the things I love most about trail running is almost like meditative state that I end up in a lot. You know that feeling when you're like driving somewhere and you get there and you're like, oh crap, like I don't really remember driving here. Like I, I know I, I assume I was safe and everything went fine, but I don't remember, you know, you just face. Right. I, I do that so often when running. Anytime I'm not like climbing or on a like really technical descent, I'm probably not actually really conscious of what I'm doing. I'm just kind of going down the trail. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm also that kind of person in life too. You know, I, I started as a musician as a little kid. That's the direction I was headed before I made a slight detour to theater. I adore music in every capacity, but even in my regular life, I like purposefully listening to music. I don't like background music. I love to like sit down and like pour myself a drink and like listen to a cast recording of a Broadway show for like an hour and a half. Okay, or so like really getting into it. Yeah, like to sit and like actually listen to it. It's probably like the ADD or something, but when there's that kind of music, it's just like, it's too much. I like to like sit and actually listen if I'm going to listen to music. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. And, and this is probably the worst recommendation and the worst promotion I can give for somebody. He doesn't need any, any promotion, but so I'm an audiobook guy when I run and, and Stephen King is like my go-to uh, and it's because he can go on and just drong on for like 10 minutes talking about grass or something where I don't have to pay attention. I just kind of space out and know I didn't miss any, you know, like the clown's there. Okay. We've got 10 minutes of grass. The clown's still there. Okay. I'm good. I still got the story going. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've never tried audiobooks. That's worth a try. 
It's, I mean, again, if you can find one that lets you just kind of zone out and just, cause like I listen to a lot of fast, heavy music normally. So that was not good for me for running. Cause it would, I'd get too pumped and I'd be speeding out there and all of a sudden I'm dead and you know, I can't really listen to the other stuff. So yeah, I got into audiobooks and it's just, it's a, it's a great way to just zone. Well, for me at least to zone out. Yeah. I'll have to give that a try. Cool. Well, definitely. Like I said, Stephen King, his sons are, are definitely the go-tos for me. Do you ever get creeped out, like, in the creepier sections of his book? Does it ever freak you out? It happens so infrequently to me, but sometimes I'll just, like, run through an area of a forest and, like, I don't know what it is, I don't know what happens, but suddenly I'll just be like, all right, something doesn't feel right. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm going to skidaddle right away. Yeah, you're going to run a little Those are just, like, little speed zones, you know, little little fartleks to help you to speed up a little bit. <laughs> right, 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 right. It probably hasn't done yet, but again, I live in the suburbs. I live in, you know, a big city, so uh, I, don't, I don't get the advantages of creepy forests or or anything like that, unfortunately. Uh, it's probably for the best. <laughs> probably, yeah. I'm sure my wife is, is happy for that. <laughs> so we've talked a ton about your your running, you know, your experiences that. Are you still doing the, the stand-up on the side or, or the motivational speaking? Are those two separate or are those kind of all combined as well? Yeah, I mean separate, but usually end up accidentally combined. After COVID, I've never really gotten back into the clubs. They're they're reopening, but I just haven't I've had other things going on and it just hasn't been top of mind. It's also hard work. It gets, it's a hard industry. Coming from the theater world where we have a really strong union that makes sure <laughs> our dressing rooms have X number of bulbs around them and, you know, the stuff like that. Stand-up is kind of like the wild west of the entertainment industry. I don't want to say there are no rules, but there are very few rules. <laughs> there are some pretty uh, unscrupulous uh, comedy club owners out there. It's a rowdy industry. And I love stand-up. I love like comedic storytelling. But I don't know. I'll probably end up like getting back to it. But no, I've just like mostly been motivational speaking, which just popped up when after my film was released. That wasn't something that I even really realized was a like thing thing. I knew people did it, but I didn't know. Right. Careers. You could do it. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. But that's amazing because it's with my comedy. I always told myself that I wanted my comedy to have a purpose. Like even if I was telling like a stupid middle school style fart joke, I wanted it to be like part of a bigger, more substantial story. And I I hopefully that's like what I achieved in my film. I mean, a lot of the jokes are very silly middle school humor, but they're part of telling a bigger, hopefully more substantial story. So motivational speaking is kind of taking that, but like turning it up a notch because it's the same, same. I love the juxtaposition of comedy and tragedy. I love moments in movies, films, theater, musicals. I love when writing and performances can push me to the edge of just like having tears running down my face and then just slap me across the face with a joke. (laughs) I love that. Like, I love having my emotions jerked back and forth like that. I love it. And so that was top of mind when making the film, trying to juxtapose those two seemingly opposing things. Like, here's a really, here's a funny take on this story. And here's the reality of it that was sometimes a little funny, but a lot of times wasn't. I love mixing those things. So motivational speaking is a great mix of that as well, because I can tell silly jokes and infuse humor into my talks, 
But of course, they're part of a bigger, more substantial, hopefully motivating story. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds great. And then so with the movie, so it's it's on Amazon. It's going to be there for a good amount of time so people can can go and see it. Is is there any plans to continue that? Is there any plans for your next race to be filmed or or anything like that? Absolutely not. (laughs) Everybody wants to talk about running a 100 mile ultra marathon. But to be quite frank, I think managing to finish making a severely underfunded independent film is arguably the more impressive of the two marathons that I finished. (laughs) It's a pretty brutal process. There's very little money to be made in it. But I was lucky. And I, I talk about this in a lot of my talks when it comes to not quitting things. And I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but it's so important to know why you're doing it, to know your why. Why are you doing this thing? And it doesn't matter whether it's running or starting that new business or writing a book you wanted to write or getting into quilting or it doesn't matter what it is. You've got to have a good reason for doing it if you want to not quit when things get hard. And I was really lucky with the film to really have an option because the film was all about my mom. It was all about honoring and celebrating her. And there was really no scenario where I could not finish it and like be able to live with myself. <laughs> so it was a really nice built-in why for me. There were so many times huge. I can think of four or five specific times that colossal brick walls went up in front of us with the film. And if I had had any other flimsy reason for wanting to make the film, like God forbid, making money, I would have quit (laughs) because they they, they were seemingly insurmountable obstacles, but I just didn't have a choice. And so I'm so lucky that I was in that position and that it got done. You know, when I first had the idea for the film, I reached out to a lot of friends in the industry who have had done similar things. I reached out for advice and they all kept saying, you know, whatever you do, if you start it, just make sure you finish it. No matter how it ends up, even if you are so unhappy with how it ends up, you have to finish it. And I never totally understood what they meant. And now I absolutely do. I don't remember the stat, but over 95% of independent films that start production are never finished. And I think there's a parallel there for running as well. I mean, for sure. If you can just finish, you're already ahead of how many people. So, and you know, yet again, another thing that drew me to ultra running the shifting goals from, you know, the goal is no longer, well, that's, that's not true. There are people who want to win the race, but for most people, the goal is not to win a 100 mile ultra marathon. Right. The goal is to maybe beat your last time or beat yourself in some way, or more often than not, just to finish, just to survive. Can you, sure. can you get to the finish line? It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how many naps you take. It doesn't matter how many, <laughs> can you figure out a way to get to the finish line? And that's such a fun goal for me. That's like an attainable goal that I can get excited about. If someone, if the only goal was to win a race or to be fast, I never would have started. I'm never going to do that. And quite frankly, like, I don't really get that excited about like being that. Right. But 
can I like manage to haul this like lumberjack of a body through the <laughs> mountains for a hundred miles and actually finish? Maybe. And that's pretty freaking cool if I can. So that's, you know, yet another thing that really drew me to, to the trails. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, as somebody who was, was not a team sports person, I, play hockey now, which, which is, you know, different, but, uh, rec league, you know, it doesn't matter. We're not, we're not about winning. We're same thing. We're, we're about having fun. Yeah. Running is such that sport where it's yes, I'm running against 15,000 people or whatever it is, but they don't matter at the end of the day. It's, they're not even there. Like it's you and it's you against you. It's you against that race. And it's, it's very kind of meditative and kind of self-fulfilling, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah. And it's, the shift is pretty stark in how much physical prowess matters versus mental prowess. And that's, again, the only thing that gets me excited about, about running is, is that component is like, am I tough enough? Am I mentally tough enough? I think people think that I'm half joking when I say this, but like literally walking down a trail crying. I'm a grown ass man crying. Sometimes it's for good reason. Sometimes it's just because my blood sugar is low and I can't explain it. My body's doing weird stuff. But I mean, like, it's really like rewarding to myself to like imagine some of the like places that I've been in and the like mindsets that I've been in. And like, how did I pull, how did I keep going? Like, what was really? why didn't I quit? Why didn't I call for a helicopter? Um, <laughs> you kind of feel like a badass and for sure that's shocking to you know little like chubby indoor kids like me like that that was such a mind-blowing revelation oh like i always kind of accepted as a kid that like oh that's jeffrey he's so funny he's like a little theater kid not an athlete but he's so so sweet and funny and cute well turns out he's actually secretly kind of a badass and nobody knew nobody's more excited than uh, or surprised than i was uh, but that's like a really fun revelation to have about yourself especially when you didn't know it beforehand. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And, and I think that that's fantastic. I know we're, we're getting to the time. So again, I want to say thank you so much. You've been a blast. I've had a, a lot of fun. I'm jealous of all of the adventures you got to be on. I'm, I'm kind of looking out my window and trying to find some trails or some mountains that I can just go and, and conquer. You just have to come join, come to Utah. It is mind-blowingly gorgeous here. And we have so many different climates, geographical, I don't even know what to call it, geological structures. We have mountains, we have deserts, we have everything. It is a natural playground over here. So come visit. I'm on my way. So that's awesome. So again, thank you so much, Jeffrey Benny. We'll get all of the information so everyone can come and follow you. Instagram, Facebooks, TikTok, all the fun stuff. Guys, please check him out. He'll be all over our page shortly. He's got his own pages to follow. And if you have Amazon, which you should have Amazon, definitely, definitely check out his movie, Once is Enough. Jeff, anything else you want to say before we, we sign off? No, thank you for having me. I yeah, appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys, stay safe out there. Happy running. Again, if you're over the weekend, happy long running or happy running whenever. And uh, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>